Well, good afternoon, church. Buona sifiwe. As Reverend Jasmine rightly said, today we want to bring uh, the lengthy teaching that we've had for family to a close. Not because there isn't enough to say. There is a lot more. We could be here for another one year. Uh, because there are many issues, both in scripture and in our lives. But uh, I pray that God has quickened your spirit to do the hard work that we have been talking about. Um, the one that causes you to go down uh, memory lane. Um, hopefully you've confronted some of the painful issues in your own life, um, both that have been done to you and that you've done to others, that God has given you the courage and a pathway that you can walk down and uh, in order to find healing and in order to be whole. I think once um, the word of God has exposed the issues to us, it's like going before a surgeon's uh, scalpel. And, and once you've been opened up, there's no way of waking up from the operation table without being stitched back again. And, and you need to, to stay in that place where the word of God does its full work before you can walk out again. Because we can't purport or pretend to be whole uh, once God has shown us what is the true state of our lives, our hearts, and our spirits. So let's, let's, let's uh, continue to trust God that um, we will do what needs to be done. And not just to hear and pray about it. This is a time for action. We need to do something about it uh, because it will not stay undone. Uh, we've seen, I think, so far um, how many tears have flowed, um, even in the life of Joseph, as, as he finally cannot hold it back and he just bursts out in emotions and cries out, um, revealing his true identity to his brothers, uh, which he has kept hidden and safe up to this point. But now he finally feels safe to expose himself to them. Now sure that they have become transformed men, that they will not do in him any more harm. He's seen his young brother Benjamin restored to him, um, and he's seen his good health, and now he can see that he can trust his brothers, and, and it's time for reconciliation. It's time to break the ice. It's time to break down the walls of hostility and guilt and fear. And it's time for him to come to tell them, now come, come near, close to me. So we pick up the story from, from um, where, where we, we, we stopped um, in chapter 45, that beautiful reconciliation that, that is just about to happen. And I challenged you to, to have a vision of what is possible and not just be limited uh, to the things that have been done to you in terms of the historical injustices or the pains or, or the sins, but to think what is possible if you're willing to trust God for the future, uh, to see a vision of your family healed and reconciled, to see yourselves, you know, hugging and laughing and crying, you know, on each other's necks because you've missed each other so, to stop seeing the other person as the enemy because the real enemy is Satan and he wants you to keep that vision of hostility and anger and bitterness and vengeance. But God wants to break down those walls. Um, he wants you to see the other person as they truly are. You know, a child of God, yes, a sinner like yourself, but uh, one who has been forgiven, and hopefully one who is willing to forgive and to receive forgiveness as well. And that's who you should also be. And uh, as, as Grace sang that song together with the worship team, you know, Naomba Nemayako, uh, to, I pray that some of you will be the doors that God will use to, to open a place of grace into your family. Because God uses his own people. He has called you for a purpose. That you would be the Joseph to do the forgiving. That you would open the doors for the grace of God to flow through you. So that others can be healed. So that others can be well. So that the guilty can be released. 
so that those who are in bondage can be set free. God wants to use you. So don't look at somebody else. This is, everybody has a personal story and a personal journey to walk. So don't look at your friend's uh, journey, um, your spouse's journey. Yours is your journey. And that's where God has called you. With all the things that have been done to you, all the things that you have not reconciled yet, that's the invitation that God is making for you. That you will be his man, you will be his woman. He says, I looked for, for a man who would stand in the gap so that I would not have to destroy the city. Just one man to stand in the gap so that a city can be saved. How much more you to stand in the gap so that your own family can be saved? He's looking for you, a man, a woman of God, who will stand in the gap and say, here I am, Lord, use me. Here am I, send me. Use me as the agent of God's grace um, so that my family might know you. I love that song. Ili familia kujue. Do, do not become a stumbling block. Do not be the gate that closes when the grace of God has been released and he wants to flow through you. Be the door that is open so, so that God can do amazing things through you. So Joseph here in an outburst, you know, um, sends everybody away, cries in front of the brothers. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near me, please. And they came near and he said, I'm um, I, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. You know, so immediately he discloses himself. He knows the guilt that has come upon them. They are shocked that he's alive and he's powerful. But immediately he puts them to ease. How do you put people to ease? By giving the God story. He tells them, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the families, for the famine has been in the land for these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. This is my challenge to you. What is your God story? Because if you only see things from your own perspective, my suffering, my injustice, this is what they did to me. It's, it's just about you. But there's a bigger story. And God is weaving through your suffering and through your circumstances and through your condition a bigger story for the redemption of many. That's what Joseph will say. You know, you guys meant it for evil, but God... But God, God meant it for good. What's your God story? You're not the only player in this grand redemption story. Jesus is involved. God is involved. And your family is involved. If he only chose to see what they did to him, this conversation would have gone south very quickly. It would have been a bad conversation. But because he brought God into perspective, he was able to release them. He was able to forgive them. He saw himself mirrored in the bigger picture. He could have told them about the story of how he was falsely accused and how he was thrown into prison and how many years he spent in jail because they sold him into slavery. He didn't see that. He saw the God story. God, why do you have me in this place? And he did his best while he was in prison. He so distinguished himself that the steward in the jail, the, 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 um, 
the prison warder, appointed him to be the one in charge of everybody else because he saw the God story. Do you see your God story? Why does God have you in that family? Why did, did he allow that you would be born in there? And how, why did he allow that it is you among the many others that would be saved, that would come to know him? And how does he intend to use you in that complex situation to bring about a resolution, to bring about love and peace and forgiveness among those people? It begins with you. And it begins with forgiveness. A personal choice, a decision that you make. That you will no longer be unkind to those who are around you because of what they did to you. But you will choose, like Joseph chose, to forgive. So he tells them his God story. It is not you, it is God who sent me here. And this is what God has done. He's telling them about God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord over all the, his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. So it's not just about you. Even though you did what you did, God is still at work within my life. Look at what God has done. And you begin to tell your testimony about God's goodness in your life. And that melts hearts of fear and hearts of guilt. Hurry and go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. See how God is featuring. God has done this. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, and your herds, and all that you have. Here's a vision for the family. Here's a vision for the future. He sees beyond his pain. He sees beyond what has been done to him. And he's looking at the future of this great family of his. And he's saying, we have a future. And the reason God has me here, I'm his man in Egypt. I'm your way out of poverty. I'm your way out of affliction. I'm your way out of guilt. Come, I will provide for you. You, your children, and your children's children. When you only see yourself in the story, it's a narrow and a small vision because everything starts and ends with you. This is what they did to me, and that and the other. What about the generations? What about the future? What about your children and your children's children? You want to bring them up in the narrowness of the anger that you have, the bitterness, and tell them, we don't talk to that family. You know what they did to us. And then you retell your story instead of retelling God's story. And I'm not saying that you lie about it. You say, this is what they did to us. But you know what? But God, this is what God has done for us. And because of that, we have freed them, have forgiven them. And you begin to narrate a new story. You write a new narrative into the future of your children. Don't allow the enemy to trap you in bitterness and anger. Don't allow him to lie to you that you should pass on that bitterness to the next generation. You'll just embitter them for things that don't even involve them. Release them into the grace of God. Allow the grace of God to work in your life so that they too will be free in their own time and they will learn the power of forgiveness. Because forgiveness speaks very powerfully into your posterity, into your future. Don't compromise that. So he gives them this vision for the future. 
And he says, you shall tell my father of all my honor in verse 13 in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After this, his brothers talked with him. There's much weeping. But this time there are tears of joy. Tears of the God story. Tears of God's capacity to turn evil into good. That's how you defeat evil. Not by retelling and recounting about what evil has done. It's by telling your God story, what God has done to you and for you, and what he's willing to do for you in the future. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this. Load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat of the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, Do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones, those are chariots, and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of the land of Egypt is yours. So the equivalent of chariots from Egypt are stretched limos that are being sent to collect the father and the family, literally. Even King Solomon, when he wanted to import the best in the world, when at the peak of his wealth, he imported chariots from Egypt and horses from Egypt. This is state-of-the-art transport that is now being sent by Pharaoh to go and pick uh, Jacob and the entire family. What an honor and what a difference that this story is going to be. Just because one man chose forgiveness. The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father, he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away and said, as they departed, he said, do not quarrel on the way. So he knows these guys well. I told you to leave this guy. So there can be an opportunity even for, to, to rekindle old animosities and hostilities and fears even when there has been forgiveness and reconciliation. So Joseph, in his time uh, in prison, in his years alone, in his sufferings, he has become a seasoned and wise man. He's, youngest, he's, he's among the youngest among the brothers. But you can tell now he has risen up to be the leader. And, and he's the one who's giving them good counsel. And he's the one who knows, hey, we have to avoid this and the other. He's the one who is taking the initiative to forgive. Those are choices you can make. Regardless of, of, of what um, number you fall in your family, whether you're the oldest or the youngest, it doesn't matter. It's a choice of the heart. That you, you have positioned yourself in a place to be used by God. You're an instrument in the hands of God to do what he wants with you and to bring about his grace. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is alive and he's ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. Shocking news. It's been about 17 or 20 years, and he knew his son is dead. Suddenly somebody proclaims he's alive. 
His heart became numb. He could not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. This is what forgiveness does. It revives us where there was death and hopelessness. A new life and a new hope is kindled. This Mzee thought he was going to go back into his grave, down into his grave in sorrow. That's what he had said. But no, God has other plans for the family. And his spirit was revived. By this time, he's 130 years old and a sorrowful old man, you know, without too much hope. But he will go into Egypt at 130 and God, because he's a God of justice and a God of mercy, will give him another 17 years to celebrate in the land of Goshen and to see the glory uh, that God had given his son Joseph, you know, 17 years after 130. And he would close his years at 147. Having seen the plans of God come to pass, because God is a promise keeper, and all because somebody chose to forgive, so consider what forgiveness has to do with your posterity. This small decision, small, that Joseph makes prepares the foundations for the nation of Israel into the future. Because it is from Egypt that God will multiply them and make them into a great nation. Would never have happened if Joseph never forgave. They would have had no reason to relocate from Canaan to Egypt. And so, God, again, Joseph sees himself as an instrument in the hands of God to do the hard work of forgiveness. And this becomes the foundation of historical Israel. Because by forgiving the brothers, these are the patriarchs, this is who Israel is. He forgave Israel and gave them a new foundation in Egypt from where they would spring up as the great nation of God. Consider what forgiveness then has to do with posterity and the future. So that as you hold on to whatever reason that you want to hold on for not forgiving, think about how you're compromising God's future plan for your own family. Generations yet to be born who might live under the shadow of guilt and fear and shame because you lacked the courage to forgive. Powerful lessons from Joseph. So his spirit revives and Israel has a new lease of life. Never mind, he's 130 years old. And Israel says, it is enough. Joseph, my son is alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Again, the God story. Don't forget God. Yes, he's on the way. Yes, there's victory. He hasn't seen Joseph yet. But he knows this is a thing of God. Let me sacrifice to my God who has made it possible for me to see this. If you don't see the God story, you will never enjoy fully the fruits of your redemption and your salvation. He knows that this has taken... At 1.30, I'm going to Egypt to see my son who I thought was dead. And now not only is he not dead... He's the most powerful man in the realm of Egypt. Who can do that except God? Let me sacrifice to him. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, 
And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am the God, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. That means by the time when you die, Joseph will be on your side. The greatest honor that a parent can receive to be buried by his own children. Again, a God story. He poses at Beersheba because this is where he was brought up. Beersheba was the home of Isaac. And it is here that he himself, Jacob, orchestrated the great deception when he stole the birthright from Esau. And it was from Beersheba that he ran and stopped at a place called Luz, which he renamed Bethel, on his way to his uncle Laban. And again, God appeared to him. So even for Jacob, he's retracing his own history and the story of his own wrongdoing and what he did. And it's instructive that it's at Beersheba, where he wronged his brother Esau, that he stops and offers sacrifices to God. I have no doubt he had reason to recollect of the much forgiveness that he himself is in need of, given his own history. So we must all walk our journeys. And, and as we walk those journeys, we must see God's hand in leading us and guiding us to do what is right for the time he has called us. That time he had no choice but to run away from Beersheba. Now he went back through Beersheba as God was calling him back to his blessings. And God says, don't be afraid. I will go down with you to Egypt. And there I will make you into a great nation. And God is talking prophetically about the years uh, of slavery here, which he's, he's not aware of and is not required to know at this point. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. Okay, so obviously Jacob will, will die in Egypt. Um, one of the things that he will require of his children is that they will not bury him um, in, in Egypt, that they will bury him in, in the cave of Machpelah, which Abraham had, had bought, where Abraham was buried, where, uh, you know, Rachel had been buried and also uh, Rebecca. So I think, um, so he's speaking prophetically, I'll bring you up again. But he's talking about historical Israel, who would come and become a great nation, be enslaved 430 years, and then God would bring them up again um, under the guidance, of course, of Moses in many centuries to come. And I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, their wives in their wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods which they had gained in the land of Canaan and came into Egypt. Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Look at what is possible. Everybody. They pack up from Canaan and they're headed to Egypt where a man by the name of Joseph is waiting for them. Their own child, his own son, will receive them, will settle them into the best of the land. They will prosper. They will be provided for. They will not know any want through the famine because Joseph had agreed to go there.
ahead of them, even under painful circumstances. And now I was willing to receive them there because he had forgiven. So they named everybody there. These are the names of the descendants. Then there's a whole history there uh, from Reuben, the firstborn, to Simeon, all the way down to Levi, to Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Gad, Asher, the whole lot, you know, um, Manasseh, Ephraim, those were uh, are mentioned specifically, Dan, Naphtali, and so on. So they head back to the land of Egypt. Pharaoh goes, I mean, uh, Jacob is brought into the presence of Pharaoh. He blesses Pharaoh, which is amazing, you know. This old man who, you know, is 130 years uh, before the most powerful monarch, but he knows that he has the grace of God and the blessings of God and the favor of God. So he blesses Pharaoh as he comes in and he blesses Pharaoh as he goes out again. And Pharaoh receives those blessings. Um, one of the beautiful stories that we will not have time to cover is uh, of, of, of the blessings of, of um, Jacob as he blesses not just Joseph, but also the rest of the children. Um, and apparently you discover that, you know, uh, by faith, as he draws near to the end of his life, he will, he will bless his, each child according to their character. That's a very powerful thing, to know that um, the way they have structured their moral lives, God will give them blessings through the father, Jacob. And, and there are different ways that he will bless them. And, and here we'll see Judah rise up to become the lion that he was to become, the lion of the tribe of Judah, uh, the one who would have the leader's scepter uh, for some reason. But, but let me just read uh, towards the end uh, in chapter 48. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill, in chapter 48. So he took with him, now they've settled in Goshen, these are a few years later. Um, he, he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to see you. Then Israel summoned his strength. This is now he's about to die. Summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz. This is Bethel. At Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now, your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. What he's actually doing there, he's now taking the rights of the firstborn from Simeon and from, Re from Reuben and Simeon and giving them to Joseph. So Joseph will become the firstborn, but now not directly to Joseph, but to both Ephraim and Manasseh, the children. Um, the children of, uh, of Joseph. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. That means when the inheritance of Jacob is reckoned, there will be Kina Joseph, Kina Levi, Kina Simeon, and everybody else. But when it comes to Joseph, 
There will be Ephraim and there will be Manasseh, both his children. He will receive a double portion of the blessings as the first among his brothers, although he was number 10, 11. They shall be called by the, the name of their brothers in, in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padam, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way. When there, um, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrathah or to Bethlehem, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So he recalls the death of his uh, dear wife. And, and again, we don't have time to go into that study, but it's interesting to see how the blessings, the double portion of the first firstborn's blessing evade the firstborn from the days of Abraham. Uh, Ishmael was the firstborn, but the blessings go to Isaac. Then, during Isaac's time, Esau is the firstborn, but the blessing evades Esau and go to Jacob, even though he steals them. In Jacob's time, it's interesting to see what he's going to do. Um, and, and, and he has passed uh, uh, Reuben, and now the blessings have come to who? To Joseph. Um, just listen to what, what he says here. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. Almost like Isaac when he was blessing Jacob and Esau. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected, of course, they're using Israel, that's Jacob, okay? Uh, because now historical Israel is being born. Uh, and he had been renamed already by God into Israel. I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the ground. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right, towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn, and he blessed Joseph. So when it comes to blessing the two, the, the, the two boys, Israel does this and that. So that his right hand, which is the right, right hand for the firstborn, falls on Ephraim, the secondborn, and is, is his left on Manasseh, who is the firstborn. And this is how I see. it's interesting to see how the blessings are evading the firstborn and always coming to the younger. First of all, Joseph is not supposed to have the right of the firstborn. It's supposed to be Reuben, but now he gets it. But even his own two boys, it's Ephraim who gets the right of the firstborn and, and, not, um, and not Manasseh. And this is done now by choice, you know. And, and, and the story is long, but, but it springs all, all the way back to uh, the Son of God. Uh, his name is who? It's not a trick question. His name is Jesus. You all know. Yeah? The blessings are on who? Jesus Christ, the firstborn of God. But out of choice, he becomes a curse. So that you may become what? So even him, the blessing of God, on the cross, they evade him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
so that you, the Gentiles, we who are not the children of God, can now be counted as part of the family of God. We would never have been incorporated into the family of God. Again, Israel, God's firstborn, Israel, the nation of Israel, rejects God so that the blessings of God can go to who? The Gentiles. You remember Paul telling the people from now onwards, he shakes his garments and saying, you know, you Jews, Munani Chapa, I tried to preach to you. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. It's a beautiful story of, of, of how God turns even injustice into justice so that those who are excluded can finally be included. And so uh, he does this. Fast forward. Um, Jacob will, uh, obviously, he lives out his life, and, 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 and as he blesses the children, um, so he crosses his hands, and he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my father Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless these boys. He invokes a threefold blessing from the God of Isaac and Abraham to the God who has been my shepherd to the angel of the Lord who has um, redeemed me from all evil. So he invokes those blessings on the boys. And in them, let my name be carried on and the name of my father Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So he is blessed. Um, he has blessed the boys. Later on in verse 20, so he blessed them um, that day. And, and you know, Joseph will try to correct the position. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. Not Manasseh and Ephraim, like Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you. And will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you, rather than to your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. And he relinquishes the double portion of the right of the firstborn to Joseph with those words. Then Jacob called his sons and said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. We don't have time to go through all this, but one of the things that he does is that each child according to his moral character, and, and, and he blesses them. Uh, let me read one or two. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, and stable as water, you shall not be preeminent anymore. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. You went up to my couch. There was an incident in which when Rachel died and they were moving from place to place, um, Reuben 
actually went into, into the, his father's tent, into the tent of Bilhah, who was the handsmaid of Rachel, and slept with her. You know? And the Bible says, and Jacob or Israel learned about it. So it doesn't say anything about it. But when it comes to the blessings, the preeminence of the firstborn and the power of the firstborn is stripped from him. And he was told, you will prevail no more. And this is the reason why you will not prevail. You defiled my bed. Simeon and Levi are brothers. There's an incident again in Shechem where both Simeon and Levi went and circumcised the, 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 uh, a, a whole tribe of people and then they went and killed them. They were avenging the rape of their sister, Dina. But then they killed an entire community in anger and in wrath. So this is what the father says. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. Oh, my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. So they even killed the animals. Cast be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So even when it came to an inheritance, they didn't get a portion. They were scattered among the other people. But you listen to Judah. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. So this is how authority is passed on to Judah. Again, because of the backstory that we saw. How he was willing to redeem himself um, by, by exchanging his life for his brother's life. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. So he's given authority, you know. Um, and, and to him shall be the obedience of the nations. Binding his fall to the vine and his donkey caught in the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. So the blessings continue each according to whatever it is that, that uh, is their prevailing moral character. So again, going back to the place of choice, how we choose to live our lives and how God now sees us will affect posterity and the future of our generations. So we must choose what is right because we are not thinking just of ourselves, we are thinking of those who will come after us. What do you want to inherit? What do you want them to inherit in the future? And so you live your life aligned to God's purposes for the glory of his name. Finally, and this is for real. We've said many things about forgiveness. You know, that we should be quick to forgive. We've said that, you know, it's costly and so on and so forth. But here's another one last aspect about it. And, and as the story concludes, finally, Jacob blesses his children, then he dies. Now, when he died, in chapter 50 of verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Fear is still with them. Okay? Never mind they are forgiven. They have not come to a place of believing it or forgiving themselves. So this might linger for a while. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave us this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers 
and their sin because they did evil to you. An acknowledgement of what they did. And now, please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. So if, if you won't forgive us for yourself, you know, for the sake of the God of your father. But this caused Joseph some more sorrow. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. You realize Joseph has done a lot of weeping. Yeah? Because the journey is difficult and the pains are many. Now he's mourning the death of his father. Now he's seeing another threat of being alienated from his brothers. He had wanted the fellowship to come back, but they are so full of fear and they are so full of anxiety. They still think he harbors vengefulness in his heart. So he cries again. But Joseph said to them, uh, sorry, um, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I, am I in the place of God? You know, I don't have that authority. I'm not in the place of God. It's like, didn't you hear my God story? Am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You must always bring back this God story to give people perspective. You meant evil for me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about for many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and for your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Going back to the question of kindness. To reassure them and to comfort them. You might have meant it for good. God meant it for uh, for evil, God meant it for good. And so, sir, for many of us, um, it may be that you've been forgiven and even released from your guilt, but you, you are still self-condemning and you carry around this weight, waiting for recrimination, waiting for payback, and believing that everything that happens is because of that incident and what you did. Even though it was spoken and you were released, you are still guilty and you are still fearful. And God is saying, that's not how the story ends. That's, that defeats the whole purpose of forgiveness. It defeats the whole purpose of love and what we have done. It is so that you can be free. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And he who has been set free by Christ is free indeed. And so today as we wind up, I want us to go into a time of prayer. And uh, through the different issues that have been raised, you know what your issues are. You know the things that you need to bring before God. You know the things that, that block your prayers, that block your family fellowship. You know the hostilities. You know what has happened and why you, can be, you cannot be in the same room with some people, some of the members of your family. Those are the things that you must bring before God. And those are the things that you must come before God and say, in humility, Lord, I release this to you. And if you could hang on the cross and say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Surely I can tell my brother, I can tell my sister, I forgive you. I forgive you. And so as we have a time uh, of winding up, we will uh, wind up in prayer. We, let's cry out to God. Let's, let's beseech him to help us heal. Let's, let's cry out to him to give us the courage to walk back the journey to pose at our own Beershebas, where we, we also defrauded others and did evil to them. And, and pray and ask God for forgiveness so that our journey back can be complete. 
And I pray that God will give you the courage to do the right thing. If not for your sake, do it for the sake of your own posterity, for the sake of the generations yet unborn. And don't let them suffer loss because you didn't have the courage to do what is right before God. Amen? I'll ask us, uh, as we go into a time of uh, singing and worship, um, if you have a particular issue that you feel is weighing heavily on you, I'll ask the pastors to stand here in front. And so that if you want a particular pastor or somebody to come and believe God for you or with you for a certain situation, maybe it's the courage that you must have. Maybe you've not been able to believe yourself for